0: Good morning, Grace Church. Uh, Firstly, I just want to reiterate, Steve's welcome to any guests that we have with us uh, this morning. It's fantastic to to spend time with you this morning and to worship with you. Um, So, just by way of introduction, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's Aaron, as as Steve said, uh, and I've been here in Abu Dhabi now for two years with my wife, Natasha, and our three children, Jasmine, Oscar, and Talia. And of course... Moving to Abu Dhabi with our family was a pretty big decision. It's, it's a, one of those decisions that, that you, you, you probably all or many of you have, have also had to make. And when an opportunity like this comes up, it's one of those kind of seemingly life-defining questions, isn't it, that we have to answer that will have a significant impact on everything that follows. Now, for me personally... A couple of other big questions that I've had to answer are, what line of work are you going to move into? And perhaps the biggest question, one of the biggest questions, will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And Tash is looking at me intently, I got the answer right on that one, no regrets. (laughs) But at the time you have these questions, these kind of life-defining questions as I put them, they seem pretty huge, don't they? And of course, in many ways, they still do, because for me, these questions that I've answered, the decisions that I've made, have shaped a number of aspects of my life. Nonetheless, the impact to my answer, of my answer to these questions, is effectively limited. It's limited maybe to the, the, the remaining 40 or 50 years at most that I'm going to be on this earth. Which when you look back through human history, or perhaps more starkly when you look forward into eternity, is not very long. The 40 or 50 years that I've got left on this earth is barely a speck on the timeline. Indeed, the writer of Ecclesiastes put it like this. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. And I would agree with this, that for nearly all questions... For nearly all decisions that we have to make, or questions that are posed to us throughout the course of our lives, our answer from an eternal perspective is next to insignificant. For nearly all questions. But there is one question that I would say the exact opposite about. There is one question that our answer to not only shapes our lives in the here and now, but actually there's one question that will determine our ultimate, eternal destiny? It's a question that's not just important. It's a question of ultimate importance. And that question is, who is Jesus? And of course, many people will have many different things to say about this. Some will say that Jesus is a great teacher. Others might say he's a prophet. Others consider him a charlatan and a fraud. And I'm not going to be exploring the truth of each of these statements or each of these claims this morning because if these are questions that you do have, these are things that you want to look into further. We actually do run a Why Jesus course uh, that kind of looks deeper into these things and we'll be running one of these after the summer. So if digging into the truth of those claims is something you're interested in, Please come and speak to me at the end of the service, and I'll let you know a bit more detail about that. But in the meantime, this morning, we're going to be looking at how the Bible answers this question of who Jesus is. And specifically, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. So if you could turn there in your Bibles. So it's Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, now the first thing that we learn here as we read this about who Jesus is, is that he is not just a prophet. Which actually is what some religions, including Islam, teach. Rather, it states quite clearly that Jesus is superior to the prophets. Let me read that again. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through dreams and through visions, and and, and as I've seen, through the prophets. And he did this because he wants to communicate with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And for this relationship to exist, and for us to know deep truths about God, then it has to come from God himself. Because otherwise, we're just speculating. If our view on God is based just on our view of science, and of nature, and art, then actually, what we have is just philosophy. Which is why there are some people who believe that there is no God. There's some people who believe that everything came from nothing. And often we think of nothing as being like some kind of unused space, maybe an, an empty box. But even an empty box has something in it. An empty box has got oxygen and carbon dioxide and other things from the periodic table that I can't remember <laughs> inside it. But you get my point. When we try to imagine nothing... We're still thinking of something. But I love the description that the Greek philosopher Aristotle gave of nothing when he described what it is from a cosmic perspective. Aristotle said that nothing is what rocks dream about. Just take a moment to think about that. Imagine a rock's dreams. Nothing. I think it quietly portrays the magnitude of nothing. But nonetheless, this is what many people in the world believe. They believe that everything in existence, nature, beauty, the whole universe, began with nothing, with what rocks dream about. And others believe in many gods and maybe believe in a kind of, we're caught up in some kind of cosmic warfare between them. And others still believe that we're put here by aliens and maybe one day they're going to come back and reclaim their creation. But my point is, All of these ideas are just speculation based on what we can see, based on what we can feel, based on what we can hope, based on what we can imagine. But to actually know God, to truly know God, we need divine revelation. We need him to speak to us. And as I've said, he spoke to his people in the Old Testament through the prophets. And he speaks more generally through creation, But as we read here in this passage that we're looking at from Hebrews this morning, his ultimate revelation is in Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is, God revealed to us. So what is it about Jesus that makes his revelation so much greater than that of the prophets? Let's read verses 2 and the start of verse 3 again. But in these days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, so in this one and a half verses alone, it's a pretty pretty short passage, Jesus is described as God's own son, He's described as the heir of all things. He is described as the one through whom all things were created. He is described as the radiance of God's glory. The exact imprint of God's nature. The one who upholds the universe by his word. Being here at Grace Church means I am blessed to know many men and women that so beautifully reflect the love and the grace of God in the way that they are and in the way that we are called to do. However, I would stop a long way short of describing anybody in these terms. And of course, what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has done, we get to share the privileges of being God's sons and daughters. We become co-heirs with Jesus. But nobody, not the prophets, certainly not us, can be described as the one through all things, through whom all things were created. We can't be described, no human can be described, as the radiance of God's glory. According to the dictionary, the word radiance means the light or the heat emitting from something. So what this is saying is Jesus brings light directly from the Godhead. Jesus is light, is God's light. He is not a reflection of God. Jesus is God himself. Now, this term, as I've said, could never be used to describe a man or describe an angel. The radiance of God's glory can only ever refer to God himself. In the book of Isaiah, God makes this clear. In chapter 42, verse 8, it says this: I am the Lord That is my name, my glory I give to no other. And then in John chapter 5 verse 23, Jesus himself says that he deserves the same honor and the same glory as the Father. He says, all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Do you see this? If Jesus is honoured in the same way that the Father is honoured, if Jesus is in fact the radiant glory of God, the only logical conclusion is that he himself must be God. Because as we read here, God does not share glory with anybody. Jesus is to the Father what the rays of the sun are to the Son. Quite literally, Jesus radiates from the Father. And just as it's impossible to separate the sun from its rays, it is impossible to separate Jesus' glory from the nature of God. They are completely intertwined because they are one. And it's so easy for us, even those of us here who are believers, to fall into the trap of seeing Jesus as just a man. We may proclaim, we may profess Jesus is God, but we see him as kind of the relatable version of God, Jesus the man. God the Father, Jesus the man. Which in many ways, of course, Jesus is. He is relatable. He is a man. But then in trying to relate to him, we fall into the trap of reducing him down to being like the kind of the ultimate prophet, which is a very dangerous trap to fall into, because prophets can only ever reflect the light of God, much as the moon reflects the sun. Jesus is fully and completely the light and the glory of God. We also read here that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's image. The exact imprint. Not like God, but God himself. And again, here we have a contrast with the prophets. The prophets were called to be messengers. If you like, they were called to be mouthpieces. Easy for me to say. Mouthpieces. Of God. But Jesus Christ is Himself the message. Jesus, we often say, he, he brings the good news. Jesus doesn't bring the good news. Jesus is the good news. He is the Word of God, as John describes Him at the beginning of His Gospel, the one through whom all things were created, as we read here in verse 2. And of course, before Jesus, up until John the Baptist, Uh, There were prophets, there were many prophets. But here we read, there was one and only one son. What the prophets spoke, of course, was was accurate because it came from God. So everything the prophets said was completely accurate. But their message was fragmented, their message was incomplete. On the contrary, Jesus is the last word. He is the source and the centre and the end of everything. The Alpha and the Omega as he has described in the book of Revelation. And as it says here in verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, there's some pretty amazing statements here in, in Hebrews, but for me, this is the most remarkable of them. By his word, spoken from his mouth, all things hold together. Just take that in for a second. I think another interesting way to put that, another interesting way for us to frame this in our minds is to say that in a moment, without the sustaining word of Christ, all things would collapse. He is not passive in the existence of the universe, of our lives. He's actually keeping it going by his word. Without that word, all things would collapse. Sometimes it feels maybe our world will fall apart if we don't get that promotion that we're going for. If maybe the relationship that we're kind of so invested in falls apart. But the truth is that these things are of incomparable insignificance when compared to the word of Christ which holds all things together. The point I'm trying to get to, which hopefully you've got, is that Jesus is not just remarkable. He is far Far, far greater than this. He was there before all creation, bringing all things into being. Even now it is him who by the word of his power keeps all things in existence. That breath that you just took, that was a gift from God. That belongs to him. Every second that you're alive is because of his sustaining power coupled with his undeserved grace towards you it's incredible so let's just recap on this who is Jesus? he's God's own son he's not God's creation he is his son he is the heir of all things he's not the heir of some stuff he's not the heir of Sheikh Khalifa's palaces he is the heir of all things now this is the opposite of what rocks dream about he is the heir of everything that is in existence belongs to him. He is the one through whom all things were created. The one and the only. Not one of several, but the one who therefore must have existed before all things to actually create them. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Again, not the reflection, but the very radiance. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, not in his likeness, not in his image, as man is, but the exact imprint, 100%, completely, totally, utterly God. He is the one who upholds the universe by his word, not by the strength of his arm, not by the skin of his teeth in some sort of cosmic battle, but by his word. Now, if you have kids who are into superheroes or I mean, some adults are into superheroes as well. I'm not judging anybody. If you're into superheroes, none of them have superpowers that are as cool as Jesus's. And when we consider him in this light, it is really, really easy to marvel at who Jesus is, isn't it? That was a total accident. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd come up with that. <laughs> It's easy to look at him in awe. (laughs) But is that enough? Is marvelling at Jesus, is looking at Jesus in awe enough? If this is who we say Jesus is, then actually, surely it demands a response from each and every one of us. If we say that this is who Jesus is, but we continue to live our lives as we always have done, if this is who we say Jesus is, but we continue to live our lives the same as everybody else who doesn't say that Jesus is those things, then actually I'd suggest this is not who we really believe him to be. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am, in Matthew 16, his answer was, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Peter's answer was totally right. But then later, when the rubber hit the road, when he had to prove by his actions what he believed, he denied Jesus. showing that maybe, at the time, despite his words, he didn't fully understand who Jesus really was. Although, of course, this will change for Peter after he encountered the risen Jesus, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Once this happened, Peter never again denied Jesus. But rather, through his life, through his actions, we see that he deeply believed in who Jesus was as God's own son, as heir of all things, as God himself. So Grace Church, this is something we need to test ourselves on. When we declare truths about Jesus, when we proclaim Jesus is God, are we just paying lip service as Peter did before he'd encountered the risen Jesus? Or do we need a fresh encounter with him? So that we can not only proclaim these things confidently, but actually we can live in the light of them. And what does this look like? How do we respond to this Jesus? Well, I think the first thing to do, the most kind of obvious thing to do when we see Jesus in these terms, if he is this magnificent God that the author of Hebrews tells us that he is, we need to worship him because he is truly worthy of our worship. And it might be that you're here this morning and you're not even sure what this means. What is it to worship Jesus? And I think when I first became a Christian, I think back, I think, I thought worship was maybe the 30 minutes warm-up before the preach, the singing the song. But actually, singing is part of worship, of course it is, but it is so much more than just singing. When I say we're to worship Jesus. What I mean is we're to ascribe worth to him, greater worth than we do to any, anybody or anything else. Because of course, he is infinitely greater than all things. So to worship God, to worship Jesus, essentially just means to put him in the right place in our lives. The right place that he deserves. So we can worship him I guess, in one of two ways. Firstly, we can worship him with our mouths, with what we say, with how we praise him. We can even worship him in our confession of sin. And we can worship him by our actions, by living our lives, loving others, and in doing so, showing the value of God in our lives for the sacrifice of the good of others. And by living our lives, perhaps, even more notably, in obedience to him, seeking purity and seeking holiness. The author of Hebrews later in the book actually sums up what it is to worship in thirteen Hebrews 13, verses 15 to 16. He says this, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to good. And it's it's really interesting to see in these verses, verses that worship, our worship of God, it begins and it ends with sacrifice. Firstly, a sacrifice of praise. Secondly, a sacrifice of doing good. As we've seen this morning, Jesus is of greater value than all other things. So it's only right that we should sacrifice. I looked up the word sacrifice in the thesaurus to find some synonyms. And a few of them were abandon, surrender, renounce, forfeit, and yield. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If this is Jesus, this magnificent God, who created all things, who was there in the beginning of time, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, then it is fitting that we should abandon and we should surrender and we should renounce and we should forfeit and we should yield all things to him. It is the only appropriate response. Because through him, all things were created. Nothing else compares to him. In fact, all other things only exist because of him. As we've seen this morning, he sustains everything. So given this, how could it ever be possible that these things could ever give us what our hearts desire? How could the creation give us what we truly need? Of course they can't. The only place that we can get this joy, the only place that we can get the lasting satisfaction that we crave is, of course, in him. Which means our worship of him is the best kind of sacrifice that we could ever make. As we sing, as we pray, as we repent, as we confess with our words, we find a deep joy and a lasting satisfaction that can be found in nothing else, making us want to sacrifice even more. And when we sacrifice our time and our lives in order to please the only one who is actually worth pleasing, when we do this, we live our lives that God has created us to live. We live the lives that he's created us for. And in doing so, we find the greatest pleasure that we ever could. So let's respond to Jesus by worshipping him the way he deserves to be worshipped. That's our first response. And I think our second response is to place all of our trust in him because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, sometimes I will try to convince my, my children, try to convince Jasmine, to put her trust in me. Maybe I want her to try something new. I want her to kind of go on the monkey bars or come down this dangerous, scary water slide with me. And I'll kind of be like, come on, trust me. It'll be fine. And if I'm honest, when they don't trust me, I feel a little bit offended. You feel a bit of, like it's some sort of slight. Like, I'm, I'm their dad. Of course, I'd never do anything to harm them. But the truth is, they're probably not right. They're they're probably right not to trust me. They're up in the sky, looking down at this guy who, that very morning, they've seen trip over his own feet and spill coffee all over the floor. (laughs) Trust me? No thanks. Most days, I don't even have the power to stop myself from falling over. I'll try my best. If If I tell you to trust me, I'll try my best. I really will. But at best, it's a lottery contrast this with Jesus he upholds the universe by the word of his power there is no safer pair of hands than his to place our trust in anything else quite simply is foolishness it's ridiculous my health my wealth my loved ones all of these things will fail me all of these things will pass away But Jesus will not because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And we also read here that Jesus is the heir of all things. This means that all eternity belongs to him. The past, the present and the future. Literally nothing is out of his grasp. So if you're going through complications with your health, trust him. He upholds the universe. By the word of his power. If your marriage is going through a rocky period, trust him. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you're having financial difficulties, trust him. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Nothing on this earth can befall us that Jesus can't be trusted in. Does it mean our lives will be perfect and everything will be all right? No. But nothing is out of his grasp. Nothing, like I say, is beyond his reach. He can be trusted in all things. No matter what situation you face, no matter how great the mountain is that is seemingly before you, Jesus is greater. Now, I began this morning with the question of who is Jesus? And the answer that I've given briefly again from Hebrews 1 to 3 is that he is the heir of all things, the one through whom the earth was created. The radiance of the glory of God, the sustainer of everything, the one worthy of our worship, the one in whom we can confidently place our trust, and indeed he is God himself. That's not a bad resume, is it? And I think there's some people this morning who may be here, and they are intrigued by this Jesus who has such power and such dominion. But maybe you've never worshipped Jesus before. And you've never placed your trust in him as the answer to all of your needs. And actually, you wouldn't even know where to start. You may have even been in church for years, but you're still not really sure how to trust him in this way. More than this, it may be that looking at this Jesus that I've I've examined this morning, that we've, we've, we've looked at this morning, it might be that it evokes within you feelings of shame and inadequacy. You might be thinking... I could never live up to the standards that is required to be loved by that Jesus. And do you know what? You would be 100% correct. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's, that's all of us. None of us have met his standard. And when we consider who he is, who, I, who we've spoken about this morning, this makes sense, doesn't it? How could we possibly earn his interest? How could he possibly be interested in our worship? And why should we trust him? He's this powerful God. We're so insignificant. What's to stop him from just eradicating us from the face of this planet? Well, Jesus is all of the things that I've spoken about this morning. But at the same time is this magnificent and this majestic Jesus who came to the earth as a helpless baby to live the lives that we're not able to. That wasn't a man who did that. It wasn't just a man. That was this magnificent God who did that for us. Meaning that we don't have to. And of course, if he, God, would do this for us, we can know that he could be trusted in all things. If he were to give up this majesty for us, He can be trusted for all things. More than this, Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get what this means? We are clothed in his righteousness. This majestic Jesus, we are clothed in his righteousness. We are made as righteous as Jesus Himself, Our sins are washed away. We are spotless in his sight. This is despite the fact that it was him who was sinned against by Adam and Eve at the fall of the world. It was him who we sin against every day that we choose to selfishly pursue what he died to save us from. Despite that, it is this majestic Jesus who offers us spotlessness and righteousness. And this offer is open to all of us. Jesus is more than just magnificent. He is completely perfect. 100% totally perfect. And it is so important that we grasp this. That we understand the truth of who Jesus is as we've looked at this morning. Why? Because it means that his sacrifice was complete. It wasn't partial his sacrifice was complete no matter how you've sinned against him his grace is sufficient if only you would know him as your lord and savior so grace church as we close out this morning whether you've encountered the living jesus before or not let's fix our eyes on him with awe and with worship both with our mouths And with our actions. And let's entrust our lives into his care. Safe in the knowledge that all things are in his hands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we consider the truth of who you are, it can actually be quite frightening. As we consider that you are God. You are 100% completely the imprint of God, the radiance of his glory. We realize that we are so not, we are so the opposite. And Lord Jesus, we just come before you and we long to see more of your glory. I pray, Lord, that as we come now and worship to you, I pray that you would reveal yourself even more to each and every one of us, Lord. Open our eyes to see in our hearts, in our spirits, who you truly are. And Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your grace. We deserve nothing from you. We look at you and we're just, wow, blown away. Yet you give us all things that we need. Your grace for us is poured out, not just in a small measure, but lavishly to provide us with everything we need. In Jesus' name.